Psalm 5, Psalm 5, verse 3. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee, and will look up. And will look up. In the New Testament it says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. That's part of our armor. I believe that when we pray in the Spirit, we have the armor of God on us in protecting our minds and our spirits. And that's why the Scripture says we're to cast all our care upon Him because He cares for us. We've got to get time to have time to know God. We've got to have time to know His voice. You know, sometimes when you're just sitting down and lay, lay your head back and close your eyes and just say, Lord, I want to come into your presence through the name of Jesus. I want to come into your presence. I ask you to wash me in your precious blood and I just want to be here in your presence and have you speak to me. Now, God may not just say a whole bunch to you right then, but just be quiet before him and begin to tell him that you love him and begin to give thanks to him for his mercy and goodness in your life. Why? Because it's the will of God that we seek him. The Word of God exhorts us to seek Him, to spend time. If it be in the morning, if it be in the night, if it be in midday, the Jewish people used to do it five times a day, they would stop. I know of a man that was almost bankrupt, and he finally stopped and gave his business to the Lord. And after that, he said five times a day, early morning when he got up, in the middle of the morning, at noon, in the middle of the afternoon, before he went to bed at night, he stopped, read some scripture verses, and said, Lord, give me direction and guidance for the rest of the day. I really need wisdom from you the rest of the day. What about this situation in my business right now? I've got to make this decision, Lord. I'm looking to you for wisdom and guidance and direction. Where do you understand? The man became a multi-millionaire. You know, God knows the answers to your business problems. God knows the answers to your home problems, your family problems, your personal problems. But he says, call unto me and I'll answer you and I'll show you great and mighty things that you don't even know about. How can I succeed in this? God, you give me the secret. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Even your enemies will come down and do things, come around and do things to bless you. When a man's ways please the Lord. These are the promises of God. Now, you see, you can go around with your knower and know that you have weaknesses and problems, or you can go around with your knower and know that if God be for me, who can be against me? Not presumptuously, but because the promises of God are yea and amen, and his thoughts toward me are continually good. And if I'll walk in obedience to the Lord and I'll walk uprightly before the Lord, it doesn't mean perfect. It means when I fail, I admit I fail, and I get up and say, God, forgive me, and I go on. Put it under the blood and go on. If I'll do that, I can believe that God's going to open doors that no man can close, and I can, he's going to close doors that no man can open. And I'll tell you the truth, I don't want to go through one that God closes. But you can just carefully just walk, walk. He didn't say it's a lamp under your acre. He said it's a lamp under your feet, light under your path. Just one step at a time. Lord, I just need wisdom. Just give me guidance and direction in this. God wants us to seek his face. God wants to seek his face concerning this church. Well, Pastor, that's what we pray you pay you for. No. No. I'm paid to be good, remember? Yeah, perfect. Yeah, I'm paid to be perfect. The rest of you are good for nothing, you know. <laughs> no. You see, unless it becomes a body's burden, God uses us. And when we do get to that place, all of one accord, one heart, one mind, the Holy Ghost is going to come and do what he wants to do. There's not a person sitting here tonight that God couldn't use if they'd say, Lord, I'm available, use me. I'm available. Show me how. Well, I'll wait till the preacher gets an inspiration and comes and tells me, no, Lord, use me, show me. How can I be a blessing? How can I make it grow? 
I thank God for what the young people are doing all that. We've got some great young people. And I don't think it's even starting to scratch the surface. I'm going to tell you something. If they can get up to 50 in attendance for three, three Wednesday nights, I'm going to try to get a hold of Joseph Jennings and see if he'll come over and speak to them one Wednesday night. I mean, he'll blow their minds. I mean, you get Joseph Jennings up there. He's a great big black brother that loves God with all his heart. He's got nice scars, uh, bullet scars in his body. He's got all kinds of things all over him. He's been through the whole mill, and he loves God. And I'll tell you, he can talk to young people. When we have 50 young people up there for three Wednesday nights in a row, you let me know, and I'll have Joseph Jennings come over here and speak to the young people. That'll be an encouragement to you. In fact, I wish we'd get him to come over here and speak to the high school first, and then tell them, hey, come to Powerhouse on Wednesday night. That could work. That'd work for me, wouldn't it, you? That's a possibility, see? So what, what are we doing? We're just taking the, the things that God lays before us and say, Lord, use them. To seek his faith, personally. Young people, adults, seek your See, God, that God, how can you use me? How can I be a witness? How can I encourage others to come? How can I reach out and just begin to cause the body of Christ to grow here? It's God's will for you to seek his faith in those things. Okay? Father, Thank you for this time together. Thank you for your blessings in our lives. Thank you for those who set aside this day because they want to seek the Lord. Lord, we're going to find out in the days ahead what the Word says about the blessings that are available to those who seek you. I pray in Jesus' name that you put our eyes on the harvest field and even as Jesus said to us, look under the harvest field. They're white already to harvest. The woods are full of them. Go get them. I pray you'll put this burden on our hearts, Lord, and that you'll do in each one of our lives a new work where every one of us will be excited about what you're going to do. And we'll see the blessings of God. Both Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, begin to reach out to the north, south, east, and west by your angels and begin to draw to us those sheep that you'd have us to have. Lord, we don't care what lifestyle they come from. We just want to preach repentance and believe that you're going to change their lives and they're going to serve you with all their heart and mind. We commit this time to you, Lord. Thank you for this hour. Thank you, Lord, that we've been able to pray for each other and encourage each other. I pray that you'll mold us together as a body like no other body, that in the days ahead we'll look back and see the goodness of God that's caused each one of us to be a blessing to each other. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. God bless you. Appreciate you coming. people's hearts a hunger and a desire to know biblical principles and biblical truth. It's the truth that's going to set us free. It's darkness and misunderstanding that keeps us in a quandary and constantly trying to find out what God's really trying to say to us. We said concerning biblical certainties that the Bible is a supernatural book unlike any other. It's the inspired word of God and the complete authority for my life. That has to be a conviction. The second conviction is as a believer I must purpose to seek God and to set my goals according to his priority. And uh, we said that the idea of a purpose is a free choice from our own heart. God will never force us to do anything. He will allow circumstances to be such that it would be better for us to go his way. He can send, the, send in the uh, hornets if he needs to. He can send a, a rooster after Peter and a, a, way, a fish after Jonah. He has ways of dealing with people to try to bring them to a place of obedience, but he never forces us to do it. He brings us to a place where we have the opportunity to make a choice. 
and then he holds us responsible for the choices that we make. And that's why I tell people, basically, we are exactly where we want to be spiritually. We have chosen to be where we are spiritually. We can also choose to go further than where we are right now with God, but it has to be an act on our part. We have to be willing to make that choice, and a free choice from the heart. And that can only happen by understanding who we are and what we are in Jesus Christ. A person that says they're a Christian and still has a very loathsome picture of themselves and feels so totally unworthy, totally condemned all the time, do not understand who they are and what they are in Jesus Christ. And until they do, they cannot enjoy the freedom and the privileges that God has given to the believer. Until they begin to say that they are what Jesus says they are, until they say what God's Word says they are, and begin to believe it, nothing else is going to happen in their life that's worthwhile. We have to come to the place where we say, what does God say concerning me? Our identity in Jesus Christ is so important. You and I may look at ourselves and say, I'm a failure here, I'm a failure there, I'm a failure here. I'm just a failure. No, we have to look back and say, I have failed here, I have failed here, and I have failed here, but my desire, my goal, my purpose is to follow after Jesus Christ. And I will try, attempt to do the will of God in every area of my life. And that's what I choose to do. You remember I said Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not eat of the king's food and his wine, and that because of it, God gave knowledge and skill and all learning and all visions and dreams to Daniel. And I said, that's the things we know, but are we convinced? Are we really convinced it's God's will for us to seek him? And if we are, how should we seek him? And that's what we talked about last week. First of all, we should seek him through reading the word of God. Whatever the area of difficulty is in our life, find out what the word has to say about that area of our life. Acknowledge whatever God's word says as being your answer to. If God says it's sin, and we acknowledge it, we repent of it, we put it out of our life. If God says that if we have fear, we have to acknowledge that fear is sin, and that when faith comes, fear has to go. And so we read words on, read the word of God and begin to study and meditate and memorize and uh, personalize the word that applies to us concerning fear and faith, that we might have faith. Then we said give time to God. First of all, the Lord's day. We're living in a day and age where there are people that will come to church, say they love God with all their heart, but don't you dare talk to them about giving the whole Lord's Day to the Lord. They're just not about to make that kind of a commitment because that, to them, smacks of legalism and bondage. But the Word says if we're going to seek the Lord, we have to seek Him with all of our heart, and we need to fellowship one with the other. The other thing we talked about was they, uh, the Scripture says we should seek the Lord in, on, in the morning, we should seek Him in the evening, it says we should be praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, continually seeking the Lord. Then we stop with this question. It says that we should seek the Lord, but why should we seek Him? Why should we seek God continuously? Well, first of all, because as we read the Scripture, it is God's will for us to seek His face. And I want you to look at some Scriptures with me tonight. The first one is found in Psalm 27. Psalm 27. David, who was a man after God's own heart, made the statement in the 8th verse of Psalm 27, When thou saidest to seek my, ye my face, God speaking to David, telling him to seek his face, My heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. God said, David, seek my face. Let me tell you something. God hasn't changed that pattern. He says to his children, Seek my face. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek my face. Look back in Deuteronomy, the fourth chapter. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29. 
But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt what? Find him, if thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. When thou art in tribulation, and all these things are come upon thee, even in the latter days, if thou turn to the Lord thy God, and shall be obedient unto his voice, for the Lord thy God is a merciful God, he will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee, nor forget the covenant of thy fathers, which he swear unto them. He said, if you'll just seek after me, you will find him. When you seek for me with all your heart. First Chronicles 16. I want to stop and start talking to you about what it means to seek for the Lord with all your heart. But I'm afraid if I get off on that, I won't quit. And I won't get done. I won't find time to get done tonight. We know what it means in every other area. Some people will give themselves, basketball stars will give themselves. They, we were talking, I was listening to a man being interviewed the other day. And he said that uh, they asked him about his free throws and how he learned to do the shots from the, out in the middle of the court and stuff. He said, well, we probably will do 3,000 of those a day. Just, because it just becomes so automatic. He just knows exactly what, feel, what to feel when it's perfect. 3,000 times a day. I thought that man is seeking to hit that basket with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his strength, with all his, over and over and over he'd throw that basketball until he got it just right. I thought, wouldn't it be incredible if God's people would be as sincerely earnest in seeking God's face as that man who's in trying to put a ball through a hoop? There's so many illustrations we can give you this, but when we say seek the Lord, it means search for him, first of all, through the word, but then seek him in prayer, seeking his will. I had a lady say to me this last week, you know, God doesn't talk to me. I said, well, he's already exhausted his vocabulary right here in his word. If you would just read his word, the word will speak to you. But you see, we want this this little mystical voice to come out of nowhere and say, go here and do thus and this and that. First of all, he said, just read the Word. The Word, the interest of the Word will give you life. And then, you see, prayer is when we talk to God and reading the Word is when God talks back to us. He'll always speak to you through His Word. It'll always be consistent with the Word. And I'll tell you, that's why it's important to know the Word so that once there is that mystical voice that speaks to you, you'll be sure that it's God because you'll know whether it's consistent with the Word or not. First Chronicles 16, beginning with verse 8. Give thanks unto the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people, sing unto him, sing psalms unto him, talk ye of all his wondrous works, glory ye in his holy name, let the heart of them rejoice, let the heart of them that rejoice, that what? Seek the Lord. You know, people who seek the Lord are usually happy people. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face, what? Continually. Constantly be seeking the Lord's face. Constantly be crying out to the Lord. Remember his marvelous works that he hath done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. Back to Psalm 105. Psalm 105. Psalm 105, beginning with verse 1. O give thanks unto the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people. So it says... Give thanks, that means testify. Call upon his name, that's praying. Make known his deeds among the people, that's testifying again. Sing unto him, sing psalms unto him. Talk ye of all his wondrous works, there's testifying again. Glory in his holy name, let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. There it is again. When you're seeking the Lord, rejoicing comes from seeking the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face, what? Forevermore. Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. 
Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord. And he shall have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Over in Colossians, the third chapter, in the verse, first verse, the Bible says, if, or actually it means since ye be then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. The believer is to seek God, seek him at all times, seek him forevermore, seek him continually, rejoice in, his, in your heart because you sought him. And uh, then it says here, seek those things which are above. Those things, not just him, but seek those things which are above. You know, it's interesting how the Word of God says there are two things you can look for. You can look for things here on the earth. But if we're believers, we seek those things which are above. Why? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things here on earth will be added unto you. So we're seeking the Lord to say, Lord, I want your will, I want your purpose. What do you want done? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I really want to know your purpose. I want to know your plan. I want to know what you desire for my life. Lord, that's above everything else. Close every door, open every door, make me to know this is you, Lord. Now, how many of you know that if you do that, there's, it's going to be a rewarding experience in your life? That's the second. The first thing is God's will. Secondly, it's a rewarding when we do that. Look at Hebrews, the 11th chapter. If I told you, if you'd do thus and such, I'd give you some, some tickets to the magic game. Some of you get very excited. But if God says to you, if you'll do thus and such, I'll reward you. I want to tell you something. God's rewards are even better than magic tickets. Believe it or not. Now, I know it's hard for some people to believe that, but it is. God's rewards are much better. Hebrews 11, chapter, chapter 11, verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that, what? Diligently seek him. Not casually seek him. Not from time to time seek him. But them that diligently seek him. That's why when Jesus was talking about prayer, he says, keep on asking and you shall receive. Keep on knocking and seeking and you shall find. Keep on knocking and it shall be opened unto you. Consistently, diligently seek the Lord. In Second Chronicles chapter 26, an interesting story concerning a king, Second Chronicles chapter 26 and verse 5. Now this was about King Uzziah who had ruled in, the, in uh, Jerusalem for 52 years. He was a good king. Verse 5 of chapter 26 says, As long as he sought the Lord, God won. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. There's a secret that we need to understand there. When Abraham walked in obedience to the Lord, God prospered him in all things. Abraham, God blessed Abraham in all things. When Uzziah sought the Lord, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. That's the reward that God gives to those who seek his face. In Psalm 34, Psalm 34, verse 10. Psalm 34, 10, The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want what? Any good thing. This is another promise of a reward that comes from the Lord. Matthew 6.33. I think most of us know that portion of Scripture. Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, some people, I don't know where they get this concept, they think that it's God's will for Christians to be miserable. That God literally is looking for opportunities to make them miserable. Now, let me ask you something. If you had a child, and that child came to you as a parent and said, Mom, Dad, I want to tell you what's on my heart. 
I want to obey you in every way I possibly can. I want to trust you. Whatever you tell me, I'm going to try to obey that. I really want your want to do that which is pleasing in your sight. What would you do? You say, now somehow I've got to try to find a way to make this kid miserable. I've got to do whatever I can to make it hard for this kid. Is that what you say? It's not even logic, is it? And yet some people think that if I seek after the Lord, His will is going to make me miserable. <laughs> not at all. It's going to be rewarding. God has promised to bless those that follow after Him and seek His face. Let me ask you, if that isn't the way you treat your child if they came to you like that, are you more loving than God is? God gives the best to those that leave the decision up to Him. Those are the promises from the Lord. Look at Ezra 8. Ezra chapter 8. Powerful verse. The last part of verse 22. Ezra said, The hand of our God is upon all them for good that seek Him. The hand of the Lord is upon all them for good that seek Him. When God sees someone is wanting to seek Him, God blesses and takes care of them and rewards them. I remember that when God judged the nation of Israel, Jeremiah was the prophet, and they finally got sick and tired of Jeremiah's terrible prophecies against the land, and they threw him into this well full of mud. And he began to sink all the way up to his armpits and was going to possibly go submerge and drown in there. Uh, one man came to the king and said, Can't I get Jeremiah out of that well? And the king gave him permission. He went and uncovered the well, threw a, some clothes down to Jeremiah, so he put him under his arms to, so he could put a rope under his arms, and then he pulled him up out of that mud. It was very difficult. said they got him out of the mud and saved his life. When the judgment finally came on that nation, it's interesting how God said that that particular man that saved my servant, I'm going to protect him and I'm going to bless him. God saw who he was and saw that his desires were toward the things of the Lord. You can't do right for God, even when it's unpopular, for what God will come back and reward you for. Young people, learn that principle. God will reward those that diligently seek him and seek his face and seek his will every day. Psalm 9. Psalm 9. And verse 10, And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. They that know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Now this is God's inspired word. This is my final authority. I believe it. Will I obey it? Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his right way and the righteous man his thoughts, unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord. God says, if you'll do that, I will bless you, I will honor you, I will reward you, I will sustain you, I will keep you, I'll bring you to all these things. It must become a conviction with us that it's God's will and God's purpose that we should seek him and set our goals according to his priority. If we don't seek him, we'll never set our goals according to his priority. So first of all, we have to understand he wants us to seek him, and he wants us to follow after him. The third thing is, it will produce praise. Psalm 22, and verse 26. It will produce praise. Psalm 22, 26. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Over and over again, when we read about those that are seeking the Lord, they said their heart's going to rejoice. They're going to be happy. 
To seek the Lord, it does not mean we're to be miserable, we're to be grovel, we're supposed to be so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. It means we'll come into a place where God's blessing will be so real in our lives, we couldn't care less what the world thinks. We know what God thinks, so that's what's important. We couldn't care less what the world says is important. We know what God says is important. Therefore, we've found the answer. We can go around like the cat that has that little smile on his face with a feather sticking out of the side of his mouth. He found the canary he was looking for. He said, we have something that no one else has. If we know these things are true and we know that this is the will of God, then they must become our purpose, our intent, and it must be our free choice that above everything else, we will seek God. It has to become a conviction with us. The Word of God is God's Word. It's a supernatural book. And in His Word, He tells us we're to seek Him. Seek Him continuously. Seek Him diligently. Seek Him all the time. Seek Him day and night. Seek those things which are above. Why? Because His blessings will be upon us. He'll reward us. And we'll be able to rejoice in the Lord. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up the wing as eagles, run and not be weary, walk and not faint. They will rejoice because of His goodness. Lord willing, next week we'll start on the second part of that, to set my goals according to His priorities. What are God's priorities for me? God has some specific priorities for us. If we're going to, first of all, seek Him, then we'll begin to need to know what His priorities are. If we'll do his priorities, meet his priorities, he said he's come that we might have life and have it more abundantly, has nothing to do with what we possess. Man's life does not consist of the things that he possesses. It's more so consists of what possesses him. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for the truth of your word. I'm so thankful that when we can find these truths and apply them to our hearts, not as hearers, but doers, then the truth of the word becomes reality in our life. I'm so thankful that the promises of God are yea and amen. So thankful that when we fulfill your, your respons our responsibility, your duty bound to fulfill your word and your promises. Lord, we're just believing that you're going to show us in the days ahead your plan, your purpose, your desire for our lives as we seek your face with all of our hearts. As we come together this coming Wednesday night, Father, I pray that we'll come with this attitude of mind. I'm going to seek the Lord with all my heart. I'm going to find out God's purpose and plan for my life. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to seek those things which are above, not those things here on the earth. Seek those things which are above. And then believe that God is going to take care of everything else. That all these other things will be added unto me. And Father, I pray that you'll give us wisdom and understanding. So we can apply biblical principles every day and expect your blessings to come. In Jesus' name I ask it and thank you for it. Amen. We're talking about biblical certainties and the first conviction, important conviction. We talk about conviction. It means something that does not change regardless of the circumstances. The first one is the Bible is a supernatural book unlike any other. It is the inspired word of God and the complete authority for my life. It can't only be true when it's a convenient or advantageous for us or profitable for us. It means regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the conditions, that becomes a conviction in our hearts. That whatever the word of God says, that's it. That's what I will do. That's the way I will go. And I want to tell you something, until that becomes a deep personal conviction in your life, you will never do anything worthwhile for God. 
because God only honors one thing, and that's his word. He'll not honor our own efforts, our earthly, fleshly efforts, personal, selfish health efforts. We can do all we want to do, but it's not by works of righteousness which we've done, but according to his mercy, he works in our lives. And Jesus said, without him, we can do absolutely nothing. And as we use the word of God, the word of God is the sword of the spirit. It is the weapon of our warfare that we can use to pull down all the strongholds of the enemy, to defeat all the, the uh, hosts of, of hell that would come against us, and then to stand and know if God's word says this, I can believe this, and I don't have to move. God says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. It can't prevail against me because I am seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, and if that's what the word says, that's exactly what I believe, regardless of the circumstances. It has to become a conviction in our lives. And nothing else will do it. The second one is, as a believer, because I know the Word of God is a supernatural book, as a believer, I must purpose to seek God and to set my goals according to His priority. I must seek God and set my goals according to His priorities. Ephesians, the third chapter, and I'm going to read to you tonight instead of the King James. I'm going to read to you out of the Living Bible. The first 15 verses there. Whatever happens, dear friends, be glad in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you this, and it is good for you to hear it again and again and again. Someone would say, well, Paul the Apostle keeps repeating the same message over and over again. Yes, he does. He said, I'm going to keep doing it until you get it. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord. Watch, for those, watch out for those wicked men, dangerous dogs, I call them, who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For it isn't the cutting off of our bodies that makes us children of God. It is worshiping him with our spirits. That's the only true circumcision. We Christians glory in what Christ Jesus has done for us and realize that we are helpless to save ourselves. Yet if anyone ever had reason to hope that he could save himself, it would be I. If others could be saved by what they are, certainly I could, for I went through the Jewish initiation ceremony when I was eight days old, having been born into a pure-blooded Jewish home that was a branch of the old, original Benjamin family. So I was a real Jew if ever there was one. What's more, I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to every Jewish law and custom. And sincere? Yes, so much so that I greatly persecuted the church, and I tried to obey every Jewish rule and regulation right down to the very last point. But all of these things that I once thought very worthwhile, now I've thrown them all away so that I can put my trust and hope in Christ alone. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the priceless gain of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I put aside all else, counting it worth less than nothing, in order that I can have Christ and become one with him, no longer counting on being saved by being good enough or by obeying God's laws, but by trusting Christ to save me. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith, counting on Christ alone. Now I've given up everything else. I have found it to be the only way to really know Christ and to experience the mighty power that brought him back to life again, and to find out what it means to suffer and to die with him. So whatever it takes, I will be one who lives in the fresh newness of life of those who are alive from the dead. I don't mean to say I'm perfect. I haven't learned all that I should, even yet. But I keep working toward that day when I will finally be all that Christ saved me for and wants me to be. No, dear brothers, I am still not all that I should be, but I'm bringing all my energies to bear on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God is calling us up to heaven because of what Christ Jesus did for us. I hope all of you who are mature Christians 
will see eye to eye with me on these things. And if you disagree on some point, I believe that God will make it plain to you if you fully obey the truth you have. If you fully obey the truth you have. Dear brothers, pattern your lives after mine and notice who else lives up to my example. For I've told you often before, and I say it again now with tears in my eyes, there are many who walk along the Christian road who are really enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul says, I haven't arrived yet, but I am learning principles. I am practicing principles. I am doing the things that God says in his word and the things that the Spirit of God has taught me that I might achieve that which I ought to be. And when we become convictions, have convictions in our hearts, we will stand out from the rest of the crowd because many people go by preference and convenience. And Paul the Apostle says we are to stand and stand against all the things of the enemy and all the things of the flesh and to believe that we should seek God and set our goals according to his priorities. Now again, a purpose. We're supposed to purpose in our hearts to seek God. And I said that's a free choice from the heart. I can't make you do it. No one else can make you do it. You and I have to choose to follow after the Lord. In the Old Testament, God said to them, uh, Moses said to the children of Israel, Choose you this day whom you'll serve. He didn't go over and drag some over the line. He said, if you're going to serve the Lord, step over here. If you're going to serve the enemy, the other gods, stand over there. And every one of them had the right and the freedom to choose. And when it was all over with, those that didn't make that choice were judged. God does not make that choice for you and me. You and I must purpose in our heart as a free act of our own hearts to do what God have us to do. Remember when the 12 spies went out? Instead of Joshua and Caleb, they had a different spirit within them. Why? They decided to follow God, to obey, do it God's way. And consequently, the others thought they were grasshoppers on the side of the giants, and these two said, if God told us we could have it, we'll make them grasshoppers on our side. We'll go and take the land. And when the people of Israel didn't listen, the other ten spies were killed by a plague. God killed them because of their disobedience to God's word. What was the difference? These other two made a choice. They purposed in their hearts to, to, to believe what God had said to them already. Now, uh, your choice, your purpose to make a decision is based upon your understanding, in, uh, based upon understanding your standing before the Lord. Now, if you have a distorted view of what you are and who you are in Jesus Christ, it's going to be very difficult for you to be able to make the kind of decision you need, need to make to be profitable in God's kingdom. If you think you're useless, you think you're worthless, you think there's nothing you can do that's right, you think that you're a total failure, then you probably are going to be. But you see, that isn't what God's Word says you are. And so you have to purpose in your heart, I will not receive those thoughts, I will not receive those ideas and those suggestions. I have to understand what my standing is. And God's Word says, inasmuch as I have repented of my sins and trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I'm no longer a part of this world. I have been drawn out of this world into His marvelous light, and I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I have authority over all the powers of darkness, and my mind is my mind, and I'll think the thoughts that God wants me to think and not the things thoughts that the enemy wants me to think or what my flesh wants me to think or what my circumstances would have me to think. I'm getting into a very critical area here when I talk about the purpose of your heart. If you don't like yourself, then you've got to go back and search God's Word and see what God thinks about you and begin to think what God thinks about you. The enemy is going to tell you you're useless, you're worthless, you just can't make it, you've always failed before, you're going to continue to fail. But that isn't what God's Word says. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He says you're a royal generation, a priesthood, a holy generation. He says you're the apple of his eye. You're precious in his sight. And you have to begin to realize if that's what God says, that's what I am. But I don't feel that way. It don't go by feelings. How many of you married people feel like you're married? I mean, 
Yep, I'm married. I can tell it. I can feel it. Yeah, yeah, yeah I definitely feel it. No, you don't feel married. You're married because somewhere along the line you made a quality decision to commit yourself to that other partner. What's the difference? You made a quality decision. And if you make a quality decision, I am going to be all that God wants me to be, and I'm not going to listen to what the, the lies of the enemy anymore. I'm going to be what he wants me to be. Then you're off starting a new direction. You've got a new purpose, and, it's, and what you purpose in your heart is going to be determined by what you understand your standing to be. Has Christ forgiven you of your sins? Well, he says he did. Well, have you forgiven yourself of your sin? Well, I'm pretty miserable. I didn't ask you that. Have you forgiven yourself? Well, you know, I'm just going to sin again. That is what I ask you. Have you forgiven yourself? If you don't forgive yourself, how do you expect God to forgive you? How do you expect to have any victory in your life if you don't forgive yourself? Either God forgave you and washed you and redeemed you and clothed you in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, or you're still walking around like a rag muffin. But he says that he has taken your sin and has clothed you in his righteousness. So when you stand before God, not that you're righteous, but Christ is righteous because of what he's done for you. You have Christ's righteousness because of what he's done for you. And you can come boldly before the throne of grace through the blood of Jesus and make your petitions known to God. You've got access directly into the throne of God. Well, I'm not sure I do. You're calling God a liar. Well, I don't feel like that. You're calling God a liar. God didn't tell you to go by your feelings. He told you who you are in Christ. Now, once you have that understanding, get out of the way, Satan. I want to keep my eyes on Jesus. Don't you stand between me and Jesus. I belong to him. These things that have been in my life, they're not going to stay there anymore because Jesus said he's redeemed me and I can have a new, renewed mind. Now, you mind, I'm telling you, you don't think those thoughts anymore. And when that anger tries to come against me anymore, from now on in Jesus' name, you have no right in my life. When that jealousy comes in, you will not function in my life anymore. Whatever that problem might be, if it's covetousness, if it's, if it's cynicism, if it's anger, whatever it might be, that will not function. Why? Because I am seated in Christ Jesus. I have been redeemed. I'm a new creature in Christ. Well, I just don't feel... Will you get out of your feelings and get into faith to what God's Word says you are? You see, it's just where we have learned to apply it. Why is your name written in the land? It's like, oh, amen, praise God, my name is written. How do you know that? You've never seen it. You've never been there. Well, God's word, you can accept that, can't you? Is Jesus coming in? Oh, hallelujah. Yes, Jesus comes through the cross. He's going to take me to heaven. How do you know that? He's never done it before. Well, he says he's got you. You can believe that. Well, why can't you believe what God says about you? I can't get away from this one thing. God keeps telling me, be what God tells you you are and not what you think you are. Believe what God's word says you are and not what you feel you are. That's going to be the beginning of where you're going to have healing and strength and growth in your life. Some people go around so sad as believers, I feel so badly for them. You and I have every reason to rejoice. True Christians ought to be almost jumping over these pews with excitement when they begin to realize who they are in Christ Jesus. I won't accept the lies of Satan anymore. I refuse to accept them anymore. The scripture says I'm to rejoice, and again he says rejoice. He said he's put a song in my heart, even praise unto our God, many shall see it in fear and trust the Lord. If you don't have a song in your heart, say, God, where did I miss it? You said it was mine, I want it. Give me that song. I'm going to have a song in my heart for the Lord. You're going to be miserable when you get to heaven, because that's all we're going to be doing, singing praise of the Lord. Well, I just don't feel like, don't go by your feelings, go by what the Word says. Remember I told you about Daniel? Taken captive. Brought before the king as one of the choice young men. He said, now feed him all the wine and all the meat from the king's table. I want these to be the finest young men. And Daniel purposed, purposed, purposed in his heart. 
he wouldn't he wouldn't defile himself with the king's meat and the wine. I don't believe that's pleasing to God for me to defile my body like that. He said, and I won't do it. So he went to the the head man over him and said, Could I just eat this pulse, which is a, a grain and lentil type of thing, with water? He said, well, I'll watch and make sure. And he purposed in his heart. And the end result was that God gave knowledge and skill and all learning and in all visions and dreams to Daniel because he purposed in his heart to do what God would have him to do. Now, again, I say that a believer must purpose in his heart to seek God and to set his goals according to what? God's priorities. God's priorities. Now, I can say all these things. And this is, the, this is the, the, the feeling of total inadequacy as a pastor. You can say all these things, but I can't make anyone do it. I have to ask you, do you really believe, after what I'm telling you now, that it is God's will for you to seek him? Should believers be seeking God? You know, some people just kind of float through life. Well, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. And God will have to just hit me in the back of the head of the pop bottle and get my attention. He wants me to do something. And they just float and wonder why they don't see the victory that they want to see in their lives. You see, God's Word says very clearly that we should seek Him. How do we seek Him? How do we seek God? Some people say, I've got to just wait on God all night and all day and all night and all day for 30 days, 40 days. That isn't what the Scripture says, unless God specifically speaks that to you. If you and I want to seek God, the first thing is John 5.39. John 5.39. Not written on my face. It's written in here. John 5.39. Search the Scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. If you and I are going to seek the Lord... We're going to have to search the scriptures to find out everything it has to say concerning who Jesus Christ is, what he is to us, what he's provided for us, what's available to us, how he's provided for the areas of need in our life. You say, well, where do I stand? Well, first of all, find out if you have a problem with fear. Go to a concordance somewhere and find every verse in the scripture that has to do with fear. What does God say about fear? What does God say about courage? The righteous are bold as a lion. The wicked flee when no man's pursuing them. That doesn't sound like we should be allowing fear in our lives. Fear causes torment, the Bible says. Some people say, you know, I'm constantly tormented. Well, that's because you haven't gone to the Word and found out what God says about fear and the believer's position concerning fear. Whatever it is, find out the verse that's there concerning fear, meditate on it, memorize it, personalize it. Say, I'll take that for me. Every time the enemy comes against you to bring fear in your life, I'm not going to accept that because it said this in the Word of God. And you quote that scripture verse. What are you doing? You're taking the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Jesus was hungry. Satan came and said, I want you to turn that rock into bread. He pulled it out. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Take that, Satan. And each time you brought the Word out. Now, I don't know where your area of need might be. Maybe it's in the area of finances. What does God's Word say about finances? I've known families right here in this body that, that were in financial disaster areas. And they began to apply biblical principles, and God brought them out. Surprise! No, it always works. Operate by God's principles, and they'll always work. It's when we violate God's principles, we get into trouble. That's why we try to apply and teach biblical principles. Maybe you have an area, uh, have a problem in the area of health. I've seen people, some people going around, and you don't dare ask them how they are, because they'll take two hours to tell you. And they'll tell you the same story over and over again. And you say, get in the Word and find out what God's Word says for you concerning that, that need. Now, maybe... 
Maybe God's not going to heal you instantly. Maybe God's not going to take it away completely from you. He, Paul the Apostle said he had a thorn in the flesh. He came and he cried out to the Lord three times. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. And he said he allowed that to happen to humble me, to make me realize that I'm not God, man's God, God's man of power for the hour and has all nine gifts and no, and no, I don't need anyone else. He made me realize that I have areas of weakness also. You have to find out what's God saying to me concerning this physical affliction. Maybe you're violating biblical principles of health. I know some Christians get up in the morning and shove a piece of white toast in their mouth, a cup of black coffee in their mouth, and they'll go out and run all morning, and then they'll sit down and have a greasy hamburger for lunch, and they'll run all afternoon, and they'll go out and grab some fatty piece of food and shove that in their mouth in the evening, and before they go to bed at night, they'll have a Coke or something, and they go to bed and they say, God, I don't know why I just ache and I'm just in pain around here. Take your car tomorrow and pour some uh, sewing machine oil in the crankcase and a little bit of water and kerosene in the gas tank and see how far you go. You You and I are what we eat. And believe me, you and I are what we think. And we have to be very, very careful what we're doing to our bodies. We may be violating some health principles that's causing these afflictions to come upon us and find out what they are. I've known people who have changed their, their eating habits and changed their, their health habits and suddenly found many of these things would disappear from them. But you have to find out what God's Word says about health. How many of you have trouble with your family? Are you violating biblical principles? I've had people say to me, I love my children too much to punish and spank them. And let me tell you, you're getting absolutely washed away with this over television today. Heard a lady the other day say, uh, we don't have to do the old, I, I can't remember the exact term, but something like the old uh, uh, punishment type of things anymore. We can reason with our children. Well, there's nothing unreasonable about correcting your children according to the Word of God. They call that brutality and punishment, teaching them to be brutal with other people. Not at all. You're teaching them the principle of doing right brings blessing, doing wrong brings punishment. And that's what they're going to learn from God. And you know why they don't want our children to learn that? Because they don't want them to learn how to function with God. Learn what the biblical principles are involved. Maybe there's a secret sin in your life. I've had people come to me and say, you don't have problems with pornography. I said, well, the Word of God gives us parameters of what we can think and what we are to think about. What sort of things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, good report with virtue and praise? Now, you need to go into the Word of God and see what it says about thoughts, our thoughts and the imaginations of our heart and how we can have that taken care of. We need to go back and see what Job said, how he made a covenant with his eyes not to look at a woman with lust. You have to put that into the principle and say, that's a principle of God's Word. I want that to operate in my life. Begin to not just read it, meditate upon it, memorize it, and personalize it. How can I put that to my heart and mind? There's all kinds of verses on these things. But until we find out what God's Word says and establish it, we're not going to be able to seek God and to set our goals according to his priorities in our life. You want victory in your life? Find out what God's Word says. Now, first thing is to read the Word, which means to meditate and memorize and personalize it. The second thing is to give time to God. Well, I, I give my time to the Lord, you know. Now, God, that's not, you know, he gave it all to you, you're just giving it back to him. He's given you all your time. How many people tithe their time to the Lord? Whether serving the Lord, reaching out and touching others, or if it's spending time with the Lord in prayer. Well, let's see, tithe, that would be two hours and 40 minutes a day. Hello? Got quiet in here real quickly, didn't you? Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah, I love to hear the turning of pages. Jeremiah 29. I don't understand why people come to hear God's Word preached without their Bible. 
Jeremiah 29. Verse, start with verse 11. For I know that the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with what? All your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity. When you seek for me with all your heart. Now, first of all, it's hard to find Christians today that'll give one day a day, uh, one day a week to the Lord. Now, you know when the Jews used to have the Sabbath, it was from six at night until six at night at night the next next night. Uh, today, the Sabbath or the day of rest, most people is Sunday morning. Well, did my duty. In fact, some of them are getting a little tired of that, so they go on Saturday night, so they can have all day Sunday free to go and do what they want to do. They know nothing about getting setting aside a day. And the Lord Jesus went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day as was his custom. And I don't think he went there and said, well, that's over for the day, now I can go do my own thing. I believe he, he, he honored the Sabbath. I believe he took that time aside. And then there's the daily time of seeking the Lord. And I guess if there's anything that disturbs me in the life of many Christians who are having difficulty is that they don't daily spend time seeking the Lord's saints. And the Bible is very, very clear about that. First of all, evenings. Sometime in the evening, spend some time with the Lord. I thank the Lord that my wife and I try to read the scriptures and pray together every night just before we go to sleep. We'll open up the scriptures and read several chapters and then sometimes we'll lay there and talk about those chapters, what we found out in there. And that's an interesting thing. And how does that apply? Well, it applies over here and back and forth. Uh, you know, it's very important. Someone said one time that the last important thought in your subconscious at the end of the day will affect your mood for the next morning. Whatever you're thinking about just before you go to bed at night, if you go to bed mad or angry or fearful, the next morning that will have the first effect on your life. So before you go to bed, Psalm 30, 63. Psalm 63. Don't think difference what I say. What does the Scripture say? If we're going to set... God's priorities is ours. Psalm 63, verses 5 and 6. David said, My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips when I remember thee upon my what? bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. In the night watches. Turn over to Lamentations. Lamentations. Jeremiah. Lamentations. Lamentations. Chapter 2. And verse 19. This is after Israel and Judah had gone into captivity. And they were struggling trying to find God. Jeremiah said to them in Lamentations, Arise, cry out in the night, in the beginning of the watches, pour out thine heart like water before the face of the Lord. Lift up thy hands toward him for the life of thy young children that faint for hunger in the top of every street. He says, You're having trouble with the young people? He says, Get up in the middle of the night or stay up at night before you go to bed. The last watch is cry out to God and lift up your hands at night to seek the Lord's face. Not only at night, but also in the morning if we're going to seek the Lord. It is God's will for us to seek the Lord, and we should give this time to the Lord, morning or evening or both. My wife and I, when we awaken in the morning, the first thing we do before we ever get out of bed is to take time to pray together. 
committing the day to the Lord, all of our thoughts, all of our actions and activities for that day, and all the different ones, and we try to pray for the different ones in the body. We believe that it's a time when our minds are free and clear before we get involved with the phone ringing and people coming to the door and feeding the cats and all the rest that's involved in the daily life to spend time with the Lord. Mark 1.35, concerning the morning, Jesus said, in the, and in the morning, and it says concerning Jesus, and in the morning rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Well, you say Jesus had a lot of time. Well, I think Jesus' schedule was very important, but he counted that as a priority. Some people say, I'm just not the praying kind. Well, you're going to be the, the kind that's going to have trouble then if you're not the praying kind. Because we must call upon the Lord. We must seek the Lord's face. We must spend time with the Lord. How else are we going to hear what the Lord has to say? I, I remember a dean or the, one of the um, officers in our Bible college one time was telling young people, he said, I see some of you young people, your lights come on and 10 minutes later you're running between the dormitory and over to the main building to go see some of the, the uh, female students in the school and go have a, a, a donut and a cup of coffee. He said, when do you ever stop to listen to God? If God's ever going to speak to you, he's going to have to hit you with a pop bottle right in the back of the head between the dormitory and the main building because you aren't spending time in your room so that God can get your heart quiet and talk to you. I was there long enough to see that those that didn't spend time with the Lord later on failed. They went under. You and I must seek the Lord and his face, seek his face and his strength and his direction in our life. Psalm 5. Psalm 5. Verse 3. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. And will look up. In the New Testament, it says praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit as part of our armor. I believe that when we pray in the Spirit, we have the armor of God on us in protecting our minds and our spirits. And that's why the Scripture says we're to cast all our care upon Him because He cares for us. We've got to get time to have time to know God. We've got to have time to know His voice. You know, sometimes when you're just sitting down and lay, lay your head back and close your eyes and just say, Lord, I want to come into your presence through the name of Jesus. I want to come into your presence. I ask you to wash me in your precious blood and I just want to be here in your presence and have you speak to me. Now, God may not just say a whole bunch to you right then, but just be quiet before him and begin to tell him that you love him and begin to give thanks to him for his mercy and goodness in your life. Why? Because it's the will of God that we seek him. The Word of God exhorts us to seek Him, to spend time, if it be in the morning, if it be in the night, if it be in midday. The Jewish people used to do it five times a day, they would stop. I know of a man that was almost bankrupt, and he finally stopped and gave his business to the Lord. And after that, he said five times a day, early morning when he got up, in the middle of the morning, at noon, in the middle of the afternoon, before he went to bed at night, he stopped, read some scripture verses, and said, Lord, give me direction and guidance for the rest of the day. I really need wisdom from you the rest of the day. What about this situation in my business right now? I've got to make this decision, Lord. I'm looking to you for wisdom and guidance and direction. Will you understand? The man became a multi-millionaire. You know, God knows the answers to your business problems. God knows the answers to your home problems, your family problems, your personal problems. But he says, call unto me and I'll answer you and I'll show you great and mighty things that you don't even know about. How can I succeed in this? God, you give me the secret. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Even your enemies will come, down and do things, come around and do things to bless you. When a man's ways please the Lord. These are the promises of God. Now, you see, you can go around with your knower 
and know that you have weaknesses and problems, or you go around you know and know that if God be for me, who can be against me? Not presumptuously, but because the promises of God are yea and amen, and his thoughts toward me are continually good. And if I'll walk in obedience to the Lord, and I'll walk uprightly before the Lord, doesn't mean perfect. It means when I fail, I admit I fail, and I get up and say, God, forgive me, and I go on. Put it under the blood and go on. If I'll do that, I can believe that God's going to open doors that no man can close, and I can, he's going to close doors that no man can open. And I'll tell you the truth, I don't want to go through one that God closes. But you can just carefully just walk, walk. He didn't say it's a lamp under your acre. He said it's a lamp under your feet, light under your path. Just one step at a time. Lord, I just need wisdom. Just give me guidance and direction in this. God wants us to seek his face. God wants to seek his face concerning this church. Well, Pastor, that's what we pray you pay you for. It. No. No. I'm paid to be good, remember? Yeah, perfect. Yeah, I'm paid to be perfect. The rest of you are good for nothing, you know. <laughs> no. You see, unless it becomes a body's burden, God uses us. And when we do get to that place, we're all of one accord, one heart, one mind, the Holy Ghost is going to come and do what he wants to do. There's not a person sitting here tonight that God couldn't use if they'd say, Lord, I'm available, use me. I'm available. Show me how. Well, I'll wait till the preacher gets an inspiration and comes and tells me, no, Lord, use me. Show me. How can I be a blessing? How can I make it grow? I thank God for what the young people are doing already. We've got some great young people. And I don't think it's even starting to scratch the surface. I'm going to tell you something. If they can get up to 50 in attendance for three, three Wednesday nights, I'm going to try to get a hold of Joseph Jennings and see if he'll come over and speak to them one Wednesday night. I mean, he'll blow their minds. I mean, you get Joseph Jennings up there. He's a great big black brother that loves God with all his heart. He's got knife scars, well, bullet scars in his body. He's got all kinds of things all over him. He's been through the whole mill, and he loves God. And I'll tell you, he can talk to young people. When we have 50 young people up there for three Wednesday nights in a row, you let me know, and I'll have Joseph Jennings come over here and speak to the young people. That'll be an encouragement to you. In fact, I wish we'd get him to come over here and speak to the high school first and then tell him, hey, come to Powerhouse on Wednesday night. <laughs> that could work. That'd work for me, wouldn't it, you? That's a possibility, see? So what, what are we doing? We're just taking the, the things that God lays before us and say, Lord, use me. To seek his faith, personally. Young people, adults, seek your See, God, God, how can you use me? How can I be a witness? How can I encourage others to come? How can I reach out and just begin to cause the body of Christ to grow here? It's God's will for you to seek his face in those things. Okay? Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your blessings in our lives. Thank you for those who set aside this day because they want to seek the Lord. Lord, we're going to find out in the days ahead what the Word says about the blessings that are available to those who seek you. I pray in Jesus' name that you put our eyes on the harvest field and even as Jesus said to us, look under the harvest field. They're white already to harvest. The woods are full of them. Go get them. I pray you'll put this burden on our hearts, Lord, and that you'll do in each one of our lives a new work where every one of us will be excited about what you're going to do. And we'll see the blessings of God. Well, Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, begin to reach out to the north, south, east, and west by your angels and begin to draw to us those sheep that you'd have us to have. Lord, we don't care what lifestyle they come from. We just want to go to preach repentance and believe that you're going to change their lives and they're going to serve you with all their heart and mind. We 
We commit this time to you, Lord. Thank you for this hour. Thank you, Lord, that we've been able to pray for each other and encourage each other. I pray that you'll mold us together as a body like no other body. That in the days ahead we'll look back and see the goodness of God that's caused each one of us to be a blessing to each other. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. God bless you. Appreciate you coming. Biblical certainties. Biblical certainties. Paul the Apostle told us in Timothy that in the last days perilous, difficult times would come for men to be lovers of themselves, covenant breakers, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And the reason it's so important for me to teach on this subject of biblical certainties is because of that very fact that men are lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, and that's why they live by, by persuasions or what, it, what is most comfortable for them rather than what the Word of God says. And if we're going to have victory, if we're going to have joy in our Christian walk, we have to understand that God says we must know the truth, do the truth, and it's knowing the truth, and in, to the Hebrew, knowing the truth would have meant you did it but know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Those who think, I'm going to do my own thing, and I'm going to be free, are totally deceived, because when you walk by your own desires, and you walk by your own persuasions, you always end up as a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof, the end thereof, are the ways of death. There's only one way that you and I can know that we can come to the end and hear him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. And by the way, let me tell you, you know, you and I could sit in church ten times a week and still not be doers of the word, still walk in defeat and discouragement and bondage. Why? Because it's not the hearers that are blessed, it's the doers that are blessed. Some people think, well, I have done my thing, I have gone to church, I've got news for you, you're actually going to be more miserable because you've gotten truth and light now that you are not obeying. A lot of people keep saying, oh, I need new truth. I want new truth. Give me more new truth. I said, just do what you know where you already are. You don't need a lot more new truth. Just walk out what you know right now. But that's not as exciting. Let me tell you something. That's not nearly exciting as to go and hear some new wonderful concept. But until you and I can take what we already know and make it to become our conviction, not that's what my church says, not that's what, that's what my pastor says, but that's what the Word of God says. Until we come to that place, you and I will never come to a full knowledge of the truth and be able to walk in victory. That's why it's so important for us to understand. So we said biblical certainty. The first one was that the Bible is a supernatural book unlike any other. It is the inspired Word of God and the complete authority for my life. I won't get into that again because I've already spoken on it several times. But that's so important. Until you find that to be a conviction in your life, nothing else will work. Secondly, as a believer, I must purpose to seek God and to set my goals according to His priority. Not what I want to do. What does God want me to do? His priority. The biggest problem is a lot of people aren't convinced that that's necessary. You know, I've got Jesus as my insurance policy in my pocket. No, that's, He's not an insurance policy. Well, He's, he's fire protection for me. I don't, if I have Him, then I don't go to hell. No, Jesus wants to be Lord of our life. And so... We have to set our goals according to his priorities. 
And the question here in Psalm 15, that was the very question. David says, who is going to dwell in your tabernacle? Who's going to dwell in your holy hill? And he's speaking of permanently. Who is going to be in heaven? Of course, the scripture says over and over again, by their fruits you shall know them. You can't get sweet water out of a bitter spring. You can't get salt water, I mean, fresh water out of a salt spring. You can't get a sweet orange out of a sour root if you don't graft in the, the uh, sweet fruit branch into that tree. He says, who shall dwell there? And first of all, he said, he that, in verse 2, he that walketh uprightly, he that walketh blamelessly, he that walketh honestly. I'm not talking about perfection here now. But the one who is dead to sin can point back and say, on such and such a date, there came a time when I died to myself and became alive unto God. I repented of my sins and turned my life over to Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, First John says, he that doeth righteousness is righteous. Some people say, all my righteousness is in Jesus Christ. You're absolutely right. That's the only way you and I can come to the throne of God is through Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ, the righteous one, is supposed to live in our hearts and he has sent the Holy Holy Ghost to live in our hearts. I emphasize Holy Ghost, which means the one who is holy, to live in our hearts. How can we have Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is all righteousness and the Holy Spirit in our life, and still say we can do our own thing and walk our own way? It just doesn't make sense. If I fill you with alcohol, you'll do what the alcohol tells you to do. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll be doing what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. And the evidence is, is what? Walk in the Spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Remember me telling you, you can't hide a drunk in a crowd. You can't hide a Spirit-filled Christian in a crowd either. Sooner or later, something's going to happen, they're going to see that you're Spirit-filled. He that speaketh truth, the truth in his heart. So I'm so glad it doesn't say with his mouth. I've heard so many people talk with their mouth. Oh, hallelujah, glory to God, praise the Lord. Lord. No, it comes to it. Why? Because out of the heart proceeds everything else. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. It's not so important how we impress people with the things that we know and the things we can say. The important thing is man looks on the outward appearance and God looks on the heart. And we have to be very, very, it says he speaketh the truth in his heart. We must be very sensitive to truth and lie. Error and truth. If we're a Christian, there is no such thing as being able to tell white lies. We must walk in absolute truth before the Lord. He that backbiteth not, nor doeth his evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. And I said that a tongue bite can be much worse than a tooth bite. And the Bible says that, that God hates the gossip. God hates those that carry uh, stories around the tale bearers. And if a person is a genuine Christian, they won't allow someone else's character to be destroyed without standing up and trying to defend that person or to try to go and restore that person. If someone is is in trouble, the scripture says, ye which are spiritual, go and bury such a one. Is that what it says? Or to finish him off? No, it says, ye that are spiritual, restore such a one. We don't bury our wounded, we're supposed to restore our wounded. And the scripture says that he that backbiteth not, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. The fifth thing is, in whose eyes a vile person is condemned. We just talked about that the week before last, and that is the fact that you and I have to be careful who we choose as companions and friends. We have to choose who we idolize. Who are the idols of your children? Who are the idols of the parents in this school, in this home uh, church today? Go home and look and see what's hanging on your walls. Go home and listen to what you're listening to. Get in your car and find out what stations you have turned on. You say, why is that important? Very important because 
we don't promote people who live rotten lifestyles as our as our idols. I have difficult time when I see a lot of times we're supposed to be promoting in all these sports sports people and they'll show a picture of these guys with a great big chunk in their mouth and spitting all the time and I I, I think they've made legislation to try to get them to stop that. But I think look at the example they're setting for our young people. Oh yeah, man, get a card, get a ball, get something signed by that person. Man, that's it. There needs to be a time we stand back, you know, and say, until that person begins to live in a lifestyle that's proper, we shouldn't do it. And I'm not just talking about sportsmen. I'm talking about people from Hollywood, people on television. Their lifestyles are horrible. And the Word of God says our children are going to look at who we hold up as idols. David said, I won't even let a vile person in my home. Won't even allow it to happen. Brother Webb, you're getting into legalism. No, I'm getting into scriptural basis here. It says you're very clear. In whose eyes a vile person is condemned. Remember the prophet last week, two weeks ago I told you about? When he walked in before the king of Israel and the king of Judah, he said, you know, if it weren't for the fact that this other king were here, I wouldn't even recognize you, fella, to the other king. He said, why don't you go talk to your idols, your dumb idols, and let them take care of it. I want nothing to do with you, fella. I mean, if a preacher did that today, he'd say, oh boy, that guy sure doesn't love the Lord. There's a time when we have to say this is wrong and something needs, we have to take a stand against it. And it says, He that honoreth them that fear the Lord. Honoreth them to fear the Lord. See, on the one hand, we condemn those that live wrong lifestyle. I'm not saying condemn them to hell. I'm saying we say we do not agree with that type of lifestyle. That person needs to be saved. We need to love them, but we don't honor them. We don't hold them up in a place of high esteem if their lifestyle isn't great. Let me tell you something. I know a lot of people who are very, very talented that I would never hold up as an idol before. My children, if I were, uh, uh, had children or young children in my home anymore, they may be totally talented, but that has nothing to do with it. But then when I find those who are godly people, I'm to hold them up as models for my children. I'm so thankful when my children were small that I could get them to read books about missionaries. Book after book after book about people who had committed their total lives to Jesus Christ. Great preachers. Why? Because I wanted those standards to be the thing that they respected and honored. Very important for us to understand. Now, we want to go on quickly here. And that is, to the fourth verse. By the way, if we're convinced that we're to set our goals according to his priorities, we will honor them to fear the Lord. You know, I'm amazed how people will make all kinds of excuses for people that are out in the world living hellish lives and are free and willing to begin to criticize those that are in spiritual leadership and Christian leadership and in churches and on evangel in evangelistic work today. It's amazing. They will try to protect the people who are out doing things in the world that they know they shouldn't be doing, but if they can find a little crack in someone's character they, in the ministry, they're, they're right on it. That's not God's priority. He said you honor them that are trying to serve the Lord, and you despise those that refuse to walk uprightly. The, verse 4, He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. God's Word says that Christians are to be trustworthy. If you and I make a promise to someone or declare something to someone, it means that we're to follow through. He that sweareth to his own hurt and change not. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no no for whatever is more than that is sin. And when I think of that sometimes, I, I think about, you know, people say, I'm, going to make, I'm making a commitment to fellowship in this church. Okay? You don't have to say anything. You just have to do it. How do you know it? How do we know that we're doing that? Because we're behind the program. You know, there's some people that work in this church that nobody even knows about. They make a commitment to this church, and you never see them, but they're 
always behind the scenes cleaning up. They don't they get up on the platform and get all the acclaim, but they're committed to this thing. I mean, it, it's committed to the ministry that God's called us to here. Now, first of all, if you're not committed, don't say you're committed. If you are committed, be committed. That's what he's saying. Swear to your If I say I'm committed to that thing, I will be there and I will be a part of that thing. I'll be a part of that program. But you know what we have today? We have cafeteria Christians. Yes, I'm committed to that over there, but I don't like this, I don't like that, I don't like this, I don't like that. 